It's time. John Gruden's our guest, head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. JT, the brick, great talking to you. Hope you're well, man. It's time. Well, you know how we want to play, JT. You know me probably better than anybody out there. It's time for the JT, the brick show. We're going to play old school football. JT, the brick on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Can't wait to play in that stadium and get this party started. You got no idea. Here's your host, JT, the brick. JT back with you as Ukraine and Sweden are tied at one in the Euro UEFA 2020. That game's in the 43rd minute. England beat Germany today 2-0. That was good to see. I was down at the Raider facility today all morning and really excited about what we have lined up for you on Raider Nation Radio. Brought to you by Ihole, the new international award-winning ultra-premium tequila with the smooth taste and the fun name, Iole is the official tequila of the JT The Brick Show right here on Raider Nation Radio. It's the official tequila of the Henderson Silver Knights, and hopefully I'll have a little of that, and I will have some tequila as I'm going to Mexico for a little while. I will be back after the 4th of July, and we will gear up for the Raiders and get you set for training camp, which will be right around the corner. Also, Tom Flores and Charles Woodson getting inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. This time of year with the Raiders, you don't want to hear anything. No news is great news. As coaches and players are on their typical vacation, football players don't get vacation in October, November, December. If their team is good, they play through January into February as the league pushes back another uh, week this year because we have an extra regular season game. So this is getaway time for the players and the coaches. And when they come back, hopefully everybody's in shape. Everybody's been working out in the offseason. That was a big takeaway from talking to Eric Allen, who did a sit-down on the Raiders report recently with Coach Milius. And as they put this team together on a defensive, on the defensive side of the ball, everybody seems to be in tremendous shape. Yannick Ngakwe stayed away for a bit to work out on his own, got permission to do it, and he's a beast. Max Crosby looks fantastic, and Max assured me that he is ready personally to have his best year, and he's a very good player. And then Casey Hayward came in as the newest corner, a former two-time Pro Bowl, who has the ability to play at a very high level and could be not only the starter here, could be the difference in developing Damon Arnett and helping him out and Trayvon Mullen. I think the two biggest additions this offseason, number one was Gus Bradley, who can't play, but he can coach because he's bringing in a new voice and a new system, which is supposed to be simpler and everybody's supposed to be able to understand it better. So there's going to be less verbiage and the team is going to be really prepared with this defense as they go into the preseason. And then Trayvon Merrick, the new free safety who comes in, who really has to be ready to play. And when you have guys on the back end of your defense – who have never played in the NFL, it's tough to say they're going to dominate. Derwin James of the Chargers is one of the most talented young safeties I've, co- I've seen come into this league in decades, but he's been hurt the entire time. He can't stay healthy. And if you can't stay healthy, you can't play, and that's been the problem with Jonathan Abram. So the perfect scenario for the Raiders are going to be a healthy Jonathan Abram as a strong safety who's playing down in the box going to be tackling more and putting his hands on more tight ends. And then Merrick, someone who's going to be able to play center field, catch the ball, jump routes, and be a last line of defense. You see, the Raiders last year were terrible, terrible, awful when it came to a last line of defense. 
how many Raider games, and it, a lot of times it happened in the fourth quarter with the game on the line, where the defense fell apart deep and they weren't able to make up and, and get back into a play. Now this is supposed to improve because there's supposed to be a bit of a better pass rush, especially from the interior with Quinton Jefferson, Darius Phylon, who Vinny Bonsignor is very high on, Solomon Thomas, former number three pick overall in the draft, Yannick Ngakwe off the edge with Malcolm Kuntz, hopefully that he could play at a big level, and Carl Nassib, who we spent time talking about as he came out as the first gay football player. Well, we don't talk about that. We talk about his ability to play off the edge. So will Carl Nassib, with this much bigger spotlight, let me mention that. Coming out as the first gay player means you have a massive spotlight on you. Everybody will know his name. Jersey sales are through the roof. Does this inspire him with a larger spotlight and more eyeballs looking at him to be a better player? I would expect so. I would expect that he wants to rise to the occasion and have a better year than last year. I'm still concerned at the cornerback position. I have no concerns with the rest of the team, none. I mean, Nelson Aguilar left, Rodney Hudson left, Gabe Jackson left, Trent Brown was a bum. So I'm concerned about Rodney leaving, but I think Rodney being gone gives an opportunity for Andre James, who's supposed to be capable and ready to play. Probably not at a Pro Bowl level like Rodney, but a guy who can play at a very high level. John Simpson, Sam Young, Colton Miller. You look at the depth that they have on this offensive line. And then drafting Alex Leatherwood, an Outland Trophy winner from Alabama and a national champion. The only concern I have going forward is the cornerback position. And they addressed that with Casey Hayward. Uh, Damon Arnett, I don't know if he can play in this league. Last year he had a bunch of injuries. He deserves to have another shot. Trayvon Mullen, I think, has the skill set to be a Pro Bowl player in years to come. He's got the size, the length, the speed, the ability to be great. But I haven't been a fan of the other players who have come in. Amik Robertson. I look at the players that are coming in. Rasul Douglas, Isaiah Johnson, the years of Nevin Lawson. These are guys I'm not a big fan of. I think they're just average guys, and the Raiders are trying to get more out of them. So are the Raiders done yet? If the Raiders are able to get a really decent, well-recognized veteran who gets cut during training camp, should the Raiders take a start with that player? They probably won't do that because they want Trayvon Mullen to play. They want him to start. They believe in him. And obviously they brought in Casey Hayward. So with those two guys, I don't know if the Raiders are going to be in the market, but I think they have to look. And then at the linebacker position, we'll see. I'm in a better mood than I was last year on the pre- and post-game show where Eric Allen and I would rub our eyes and say, where is Littleton? Where is Kwiatkowski? And Nicholas Morrow, I thought, played at a very high level, but Nicholas Morrow isn't considered an elite linebacker. He was an overachiever last year. Now maybe he gets to the point where this is where he plays and he's very good at this level And now he can overachieve from here and be a borderline Pro Bowl player. There's a possibility that could happen. I know Gus Bradley has liked what he's seen so far. What will we see out of Tanner Muse? How about the development of Javon White coming over from UNLV? So I like the receivers, Ruggs, Renthrow, Edwards, Brown, Sneed, Zay Jones. 
I'm good with everybody at wide receiver. And then when it comes to the tight end position, Waller, Carrier, Foster, Moreau, it's a hell of a group. I mean, Waller's going to get 100 receptions this year if all goes right. And then we see what they're doing at the running back position, which is a really unique move. And I got to give John Gruden credit for what he did. Critics have been all over Gruden for bringing in a multi multi-playmaking back in Kenyon Drake and paying him a lot of money when they had Josh Jacobs. But I think that's a good pick overall because the core of Jacobs, Drake, and Ingold is good enough to play in this league, depending on Richard and what they're going to do going forward with the depth of the running back position. Then at quarterback, it's Carr, Mariota, and Peterman. Gruden loves Peterman. The reason why Nathan Peterman's here is Gruden doesn't want him to go anywhere because he thinks he can start in the league. He thinks he's an excellent backup. And will Marcus Mariota be used from time to time in a different package, such as goal line? I doubt it because this is Derek Carr's team. And Derek Carr is going to be expected to play at a very, very high level. A Pro Bowl level. I won't say make or break for Derek Carr this year at all. Why would I say make or break? But I can tell you this much, where he is with his contract, wanting a contract extension, there's no way that Derek Carr can go backwards. He has to play at a very high level the entire year, and he has to play better than he's ever played before with a pretty much new offensive line with Incognito coming back, who didn't play much last year. 702-365-9200. How's that for some offseason analysis off the top of my head? I know the roster as good as anybody. I know the depth chart. I know who's going to be on the bubble. I have a pretty good idea who's going to make the team. Now let's hope everybody stays healthy. Dave Miller's kind enough to join us, former analyst on Spectrum with the Lakers over the years, former coach, worked on the staff with Byron Scott, and a guy that I really respect and haven't talked to him in a while as we get into the NBA playoffs. Dave, thanks a lot for coming on and Let's get into Paul George. Career-high 41 points last night. How did you see it in Phoenix? Well, he just stepped up in the moment. I mean, the roles had changed with Kawhi Leonard not out. All of a sudden, PG, he goes from the second guy to the first. Reggie Jackson has been great. And, you know, I thought the key was Marcus Morris. He stepped up and had, I think it was 20 points in that first half. He only missed two field goals. Um, But I thought it was also great in the sense of coaching, because what I thought the Clippers did, they punched him in the mouth. You saw that. They ran great action to get mismatches, and if you watch it on the left block, 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 that's where Morris ended up, and Booker was guarding him, and I thought he scored at ease. How about DeMarcus Cousins and the way he played? How about his production in limited minutes? Well, that's, it's all about being ready for the playoffs and having veteran guys that understand their roles and you know I thought he was really good he was able to come in when they went small at times and you know I thought that that was good every time that uh Aiton went out he put Boogie Cousins right in and 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 also you know I thought Cousins and company they did a great job neutralizing Aiton you know he only had 10 points but I thought they 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 Aiton felt them for the first time you know, uh, they, they gang rebounded. They, they put a body on him. The guards rebounded down. So I really thought it was a collective effort. But Marcus Morris certainly stepped up. Coach Dave Miller joins us. Dave, interesting to me, 
when I look at Kawhi Leonard and with your coaching background in the league and knowing training rooms and knowing doctors and assistants and how this plays out, we know that Kawhi wasn't happy on the way out of San Antonio with the way that they were managing or mismanaging, in his opinion, his injury. And all he ever talked to was his uncle about it. No one got any of the information before he went to Toronto. And I'm sensing now there's an issue here with him. Are we blowing this out of proportion with the Clippers with him long-term? Because Steve Ballmer's got to make a big decision to pay him market price, and he's a very expensive player going forward. Yeah, but that, that's, that's the gamble, and you know about that being in Vegas. I mean, he, he's one of a kind, and you've got to find an organization. You know, it, it's a two-way street. You know, back, um, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago when I started coaching, it was either my way, meaning the team you were with, or the highway. And that's not how it is right now. You know, it, 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 it's coaches in the league right now. You've got to get along with people. Um, you've got to – it's like a marriage. You know, it takes two to tango, and you've got to pick the battles that you fight. And, you know, he, 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 he's just a guy that you've got to work with, and you can't afford to get rid of him. Um, he's got to be healthy. He's got to be ready to go. You've got the pieces, you know, with PG there. You know, Morris steps up. They, they, they've got a really good roster. So it's tough from the outside looking in what's going on. On, but I, I think they're going to handle him with uh, with kit gloves, and, and I think things will work out. Dave, from coaching Kobe and being around the Laker organization and seeing his work ethic, I want to make not a comparison to Kobe, but looking at Ben Simmons in his young career, he's going to skip the Tokyo games for Australia to work on his game. Was his reputation preceding himself that he didn't work hard enough? If you had to fix a guy like this in the gym and help him develop a three and improve his free throw shooting, seems easy to fans, but is it that easy? Well, it's not, and it comes down to, again, outside looking in, but I've been in this game long enough to know, you know, who are the people that you're listening to? Where's the chatter coming from? We've heard it's it's his family. You know, he hangs out with that certain group, and that's good. But, you know, everyone got excited when they said in Philly, and I'm from Allentown, PA, and was at a Philly Hawks game. I think it was game five, if my memory's right, uh, when they had that huge lead and then blew it. Um, but but listen, everyone got excited. Oh, he's not going to play in the in the Olympics this summer. What have you done the last three summers? This is the job. He's got superstar potential. I mean, when you look at him, he's a generational talent, and I get it. You know what's his weakness? He could he couldn't shoot. He couldn't shoot in the SEC where where my son was an assistant coach back when he was there. So you know you you get in the gym and you know it, it's not working on your moves. Twenty seven dribbles, step back three. You know all the AAU kids and and high school kids want to do it with him you got to understand when you have a guy that's struggling with shooting this is real easy you take a rim down you you get a rim and you take two basketballs and you can put two nba regulation balls inside the rim at the same time they fit exactly in so you tell shooters hey if if two balls can fit in here, all you got to do is get it up and over, and then it's simply all about repetition. And I always teach game shots at game spots at game speed. If you're in the gym and you're not going with cardio, you know, uh, and again, for the listeners to listen, maybe you're starting at half court, you're running to the free throw line, jump shot, you run back pedal, back to, and, and you go on until you make you know, 100, you make 50, you, you play little games within the games. But, you know, it's simple. Get into the gym and shoot the shot. So he's got to get with them. You know, again, everyone, you know, threw their hands up in the air. Oh, wow, they're going to work with them on a shot. 
What have the Sixers done the past three summers? It's a job, and it's their job to get them better. Dave Miller joins us. One of your signature slogans is know your personnel. How do you do that in this day and age where everybody's shooting up threes? One pass, three, one pass. You miss a three, take another one. Keep shooting, keep shooting. Is it tougher to coach nowadays knowing that, I mean, teams struggle to run a play to get a four or a five on the low block and to try to get an easy bucket. I see so many great players passing in the painted area all the way out to the corner three. How do you coach in this day and age where so many guys just love putting up threes? Well, they, there's got to be a happy medium because when you think about it, and I'm sure we'll talk Bucks Hawks in a second, but it's like with Giannis. You know, with Giannis, it's okay. It's like, it's like let's go back to Rodman. Phil would let Rodman take a crazy shot here or there. That was after 25 rebounds. So you have to live with it. And analytically, you know, I'm old school, but I'm also smart enough to know that if you can give me information to help our team win, I'm going to listen to it. But, but there, it, it, it's a give and take. The three ball, you know, three balls, layups, and free throws. You know, it's almost archaic. That's why it's been great to watch CP3 and to watch Book with that mid-range jump shot. But the three is such an important game. If you're not shooting it or allowing your guys to shoot it, it's almost archaic. You know, I used to work for Tom Penders at the University of Texas, mm-hmm. and we were called the running horns. And, and Tom's philosophy was, you know, we're going to give you a two. Our defense wasn't that great, but we're going to come back down with Travis Mays, Lance Blanks, and Joey Wright and knock down a three. So it's just, you know, you do three things every day in life. You stay the same, you get better, or you get worse. And two of the three aren't worth a damn. So you better have a three-ball attack in the modern NBA. Wrapping it up with Dave Miller, at Coach Dave Miller, a great follow. If you're an NBA fan, you're a fan of analysis and coaching, and when Middleton's playing great, I mean, what a what an addition. It's great when you have a guy who's supposed to be the two and a two-time MVP in Giannis, and that two in Middleton says, I'm going to take over a game because I feel like I'm hot, and he has the confidence that Giannis isn't going to get mad, Budenholzer encourages him. When he gets hot, man, he is tough to slow down. Well, that uh, team is just like a family, and again, every family, not everybody gets along, and and I say that because you don't have to get along. You have to get along when you're on that hardwood for 94 feet, and I think this team gets along, but yeah, it's a blessing uh, for the Greek freak to have him because you said it. He has the ability that he can close the game. uh, He can take over it, but I think the strength of that team is in the pack in the sense of, you know, I love their length. You know, we we got Giannis. You mentioned Middleton, Lopez, uh, but I think a big key is T.J. Tucker's toughness. And, and, you know, looking at that game, I was thinking about it this morning, running out here in the desert. You know, the, the biggest thing is you still have to – Giannis has to be there, and he's got to get his. Like you said, he's a superstar. So, number one, he's got to stay out of foul trouble. He's got to make his free throws. And we go back to talking about shooting threes. In my opinion, they have to keep him in the paint and keep him attacking in transition. they got to push it. He's got to get rim runs. He's got to get two feet in the paint, and then they've got to play inside out to be successful and to win this game. Because I think without Trey Young, I call him the no-chance Hawks. You know, they they don't have a backup point guard. And you can't expect Lou Williams, as good as he's played, to come in and play, play 35 minutes. I mean, Trey Young's the offense. He starts it. He finishes it. Bogdanovich is limping. You know, uh, 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 Capella. Capella, you know, without Trey Young, there goes his effectiveness, effectiveness because of the lobs and the drop-offs. 
but I think the Bucks win this, and, and I think we're going to see the Bucks, and I think we're going to see the Clippers in the finals. Hey, finally, what do you think is going to happen with Damian Lillard? Chauncey takes the job. Obviously, he takes it because he thinks he has Damian Lillard, but there are rumblings that Dame didn't like everything in the process from the new coaching hire or whatever it is, and if he thinks he could win somewhere else, I don't think anybody would fault him for that. You think he stays long-term in Portland, or he's starting his exit strategy? I think he stays. Um, you know, he's the one of the few guys in this league that hasn't chased it. You know, he, he's wanted to win there, and, 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 and to his point, sometimes, and I don't, I don't know him, um, you know, I've been around him, but sometimes you get to the point of no return. I don't think we're there yet. And I think Chauncey Billups coming in, I think, is going to have a great effect, not just on the team, but the organization. And, and I think before he bolts, I, I think it could happen, you know, if there's not success there. But, but I, if I'm a betting man, I'm thinking that they stay, it becomes a marriage in heaven, and then they've just got to put guys around him. Uh, that, 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 can, that can make them successful up there. But I have a feeling he's going to stick. Ad coach Dave Miller. Dave, good to catch up with you again. Thanks for the analysis as always. Hopefully we reach out to you and we can get you on during the finals. Well, anytime. I love your show. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Really good to get him on. Dave Miller, ad coach Dave Miller. Give him a follow and we'll try to get him on here in a couple of weeks again to break down the finals from a film perspective and all the homework he does. 702-365-9200. When we come back, what are some of the pitfalls for first-time gamblers? I believe living in Vegas, I know a lot of gamblers, and most of the ones I know don't make any money. All they do is feed their account and have to make deposits and put money in. Why is that? We'll get into that as we're brought to you by Modelo, an official cerveza of the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm on my way to Mexico to drink some ice-cold Modelos. Otani crushes one deep right field. Goodbye. Welcome to New York, Shohei Otani. The Batman has arrived in Gotham City. 26th home run. Man, cranky Yankee. Yankees just can't get out of the way of themselves. And Otani came in and in a home run, and everybody's talking about it in New York, and they're not talking about the Yankees. JT, back with you. As you know, I talk to the premier handicappers in sports gambling because I want them to give you an advantage when you're betting and you're putting your handle together and you're trying to put money aside to have fun betting on sports. Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports, my longtime friend, is kind enough to join us. And, Lee, what I thought we'd do here is we're wrapping up June and we're about to head into July is do a 101 on sports gambling because in Vegas I'm seeing a lot of new people come on the scene who have no experience, have never given out experience before, and they're trying to be gambling experts, and I notice it's harder and harder to win as a sports gambler. Is that true? It is, and there's so many more sports, and there's so many different ways that you can bet sports with endgame wagering. So uh, there's more ways for the house to win and, uh, I mean, I see it all the time. I see people showing up on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, they're experts. Uh, they don't even have a website. Uh, most of them, 
be quite honest with you, probably didn't even go to college. Can't even figure out the difference in a game whether they should make a wager where it's minus at one odds or laying another half point or a point and, and, and laying 120. So when you can't do that, the chances of you winning are very small. Well, let's talk about that. When we see a spread in a hockey game and we see a favorite and then you're shopping a casino and you're trying to get the best deal, I know a lot of first-time gamblers don't care. They're walking into a Golden Knight game out here in Vegas or they're in New Jersey. They're walking into a game. They see the team that they like. They don't put any analysis in, and then they don't look at the VIG and the minus 115 and the 120 that it is. Talk about how the house has the advantage on that and how a gambler should be either more patient or jump on the game earlier if the price is better. Well, that it is important. And just like, for instance, UFC. UFC is starting to really gain some popularity, but a lot of the lines in the UFC are, are 20 and 30 cent odds, which is even more than these other sports. So you have to pay attention to it. And it's like going to a movie. You know, these people, it's like going to a movie and seeing eight different uh, films that are playing, and you don't even you know, read the previews on them and, and even look at Rotten Tomatoes to see how good it is. So if you don't do any work and you're just looking for entertainment, yeah, you want to put down 20 30 50 100 bucks if you can afford it, great. But if you're playing any more and expecting to win long-term, the chances are very small. Uh, only about 3% of gamblers uh, end up winners. So it's a, uh, it's a steep hill to climb, even though most cases the odds are minus 110 to to, to win. Lee Sterling, Paramount Sports, a longtime friend of mine, someone I trust, someone that you could look to for great advice who is transparent and post his track record. And that's the other thing I wanted to touch on here as we try to do a 101 for some of the newer gamblers out there is the fact that there are some experts who aren't experts in other sports, but if that sport isn't in season, then that person wants to give out gambling advice on a sport that he has no advantage on. How important is someone like yourself to have an advantage, to specialize in just a few sports so you can give your clients the best recommendations? So, for instance, I do football and basketball. I employ someone for my baseball. It took me almost 20 years to find the right person. And for the last two years, I do baseball. And I have someone uh, separate who does uh, MMA, and he's a former MMA fighter who studies it, and and obviously I oversee and make a final decision on what we put out and the amount of units. But um, if you can't do it, great. And you know, I haven't done baseball in, in almost twenty years. I don't do it. So uh, it, it it is important. A lot of the the biggest mistakes that other people do when they're trying to wager on sports is they make too many bets. I mean, playing five, seven, eight games in a night. Uh, the juice is going to catch up with you, and also playing parlays. I mean, playing, I might play two parlays a year when the odds to win a two-team parlay are 4-1, to one, and they're only giving you 13-5, to five, not even close to 3-1. to one. Uh, Yeah, you can win a day here and there, but in the long run, you've got to hit almost 65% to break even. Lee Sterling joins us, Paramount Sports. That's really interesting because a couple of my friends are parlay players. They like to have a three-game parlay. Every once in a while, they call it a lottery ticket where they'll pick 10 games, and they'll try to hit that, not for a lot of money. But what is the downfall of the parlay player that gets those first two games right and is chasing the third, and then it comes back to bite them? Does that parlay player go right back in the next day, or are they being more selective? No, they're not being more selective. I mean, I've had some plays in the last couple of years where, 
you know, uh, I had the, you know, what I thought was the winner in, in the Super Bowl or, or in the college basketball national championship game, and I'll hedge the other side just to make sure I'm a winner. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a matching junkie. I'm looking to make money. So uh, there's a difference, and the key is you've got to specialize. If you want to make money, specialize in something. Specialize in sides. Specialize in, in total or particular sport. I, I know a couple of people, all they do is the WNBA, and they're great at it. Well, more power to them. But if you do the WNBA and then you're going to go and try to win betting football, basketball, and baseball, it's going to be a tough road. Lee Sterling joins me every year. We do the 101 of sports gambling. And another big topic that I wanted to have you on to talk about is young people gambling. Now young people are seeing these brand-new websites, big names. It could be FanDuel. It could be DraftKings. Whatever it is, more power to you. Those companies are getting into this space because they're trying to provide a service. They're making money, and there's an opportunity to make money. But I know the marketing goes to young gamblers who don't have very much experience. So I'm noticing more college kids, kids right out of college, people 21 to 25 years old that are using this for entertainment. Back in the day, Lee, me and you'd go watch a game. If we didn't have any action on it, we could watch the entire nine innings. We could watch the NBA game and enjoy it. Now I see young people in their 20s needing to watch a game, have action on that game for more so than entertainment, and it can turn on them really fast. It can. You know, I see it all the time. Uh, I have a nephew, and, uh, you know, they're betting online, and, and he comes over with his friends, and, and you know, they're, they're playing everything. They're playing multiple sports. Um, it, one, though, thing that I think will help some of these young kids, some of these young kids are really good with math and algorithms, and uh, I'm not adverse to learning something. And then some of these young kids are, are, are doing quite well in, in the sports wagering field. So there are some people that can beat it, but you got to work at it. And, uh, I, you know, like I said, it, there's more opportunities. I'm not in it, a real good in-game wager. I may, might bet one or two in-game wagers a week, but I'm, I'm waiting for an edge. For instance, similar to the game tonight, anyone betting this game before the game is just throwing darts. I mean, Trey Young, you don't know the situation as far as his injury. You know, the, the line in the game before that was five. Now it's six, six and a half in the game tonight. Also, Bogdanovich, you know, their outside shooter, and is a guy that was, you know, I mean, really good at certain times in the series, in the last couple series. Uh, you know, he was obviously bothered by a knee injury. So um, he's listed as probable, and he's expected to play. But, you know, these are guys that, you know, if they're not 100%, they don't have any chance. For instance, Bogdanovich in the last game, everyone's talking about Trey Young and his injury, but he was 3-for-16 from the field and 2-for-10 from three-point land for just eight points. So I'm going to end-game wager probably that game. If I see something great, if not, I'll lay off and, and, and you know learn to fight another day. Lee Sterling as we wrap it up. So, Lee, back in the day, you know, some fans would bet college football on Saturday. They'd bet NFL on Sunday, then Sunday night football, and then their catch-up game would be Monday night. So right. if they had a bad weekend, they always had that Monday night game to go catch up. What I think you're suggesting is now people don't have to wait for that Monday game. They can end game. They can have a game on Sunday, a 1 o'clock game, and the next thing you know, they're down with their bet. They're losing the bet. And then they can take some of the handle that they had for Sunday night and the money they put aside for Monday, and they can go chase their bet and in-game wagering. That's really difficult to do unless you're very sharp. 
It is. And, and remember, endgame wagering, the odds are usually 115 to win 100. So they make it stacked and it's even, and it's even tougher. So it's just like playing the Super Bowl prop bets. I mean, if you have five, six, seven, you know, get, you know, wagers that you've studied, I'll end up with 10 or 12. But I've looked over the five or 600 wagers to try to get an edge. But, uh, you know, uh, if, if you're playing, you know, 40 or 50 Super Bowl prop plays, you're not going to win. It's not going to happen. Hey, Lee, finally, if a youngster, someone young in their 20s making sixty, seventy thousand a year, good job. Someone, you have clients that make over six figures. You have millionaire clients. What is the general advice you give on the amount that they should gamble recreationally? Is it 10%? Is it 2% of their salary? How do you know when a client's getting away? If a client's even doing real well and you say, and you remind them, hey, we usually bet this much. Be careful. You're in over where you usually are. What's that like? Well, I, I don't think there's a set number. So, you, for instance, let's say you're wagering uh, uh, for a year. What you should do is set an amount that you feel comfortable losing and where it's not going to affect you, where you're not going to be able uh, to, if you were, had planned to go on a vacation or buy a car, you're not going to have to dip into another account to pay that off. So you need to... Pick a number you feel comfortable with for each sport, and once you hit that number, if it's even in the second week of the year, you got to say, that's it, I'm done. So uh, that's a number, or it's a number usually that if you lose that amount on a weekend, you feel uncomfortable. So uh, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, it's probably too much. So, you know, there's, I, 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 only, I think it's, it's more better to bet an amount of your total bankroll on each game. What I do is... If I have, let's say, a 100% bankroll, I'll wager anywhere from 1% to 4% on each game. So uh, I'm mm-hmm. never betting 5% of my entire bankroll on a game. Yeah, finally, the last one that I see a lot out here in Vegas is a lot of my friends are funding their casino account because they are winning. They are trying to win. When they do have a good weekend, they don't take the money out. They don't take the withdrawal out and invest it in their mortgage, their bank account, their securities, whatever they do. They just let it ride, and then every couple of weeks or months, they're depositing more money into their account because that's the lifestyle they're in. Even when they win, they're not disciplined to take their profits out. It's a different generation. You know, my father, even though he's a dentist, I remember there was – and he won probably – uh, eight out of every ten years. I remember there was one year he lost in the second weekend of the year. He lost a large amount and didn't feel comfortable anymore. That's it. He was done. So, uh, you know, we're dealing with different times now with 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 with, with people and money and um, just have to, you know, realize that. But um, it, the pandemic did something, and it, I think it was a scare to a lot of people. And I'll never forget my daughter said to me about six, eight weeks into the pandemic, she's like, yeah. You know, your father knew something. My father always drove around in a, a Ford Explorer or a Honda Accord with a um, Seiko watch. And trust me, he was very well off. And he always told him, you got to save for a rainy, rainy day. And that's, and, and that's the message. You know, you want to have fun with it. But um, I think if some of these, these young people had, had went through some of the times like World War II or the Great Depression, uh, they might feel a little bit different about uh, the times we're in right now. Lee, last question. What's a nice winning percentage 
for the average gambler listening to us. If you're, because this is the biggest BS I see on Twitter, and I see in this new space as more and more people are becoming so-called experts. They tell you they're right 68% of the time, 70, 59. What's a real number where someone who's gambling recreational as a sports gambler should shoot for to win and say, hey, I'm doing pretty well? Anyone above 55% is doing extremely well. So anyone who's hitting 55% or above, um, you should hitch your, your wagon to them and, and, and ride them. So, for instance, this year I sell my picks on covers.com. Over 35 handicappers there. I won football at a little over 57%, and I'm running away with hockey at over 57%. And that's number one. That's out of over 35, almost 40 handicappers, some of the best in the country. Just gives you an example. Anyone telling you they're hitting 60, 65, 70%. This is my 28th year. I've had two seasons in three different sports where I hit above 60%. It's that tough. Thank you, Lee. Where can everybody follow you get your services? Just go to ParamountSports.com. Uh, and check me out on there. Um, always reach me if you want to speak to me personally. 800-400-9741. Lee Sterling. Thank you, Lee. Appreciate it. Thanks, JT. There we go. You got it, buddy. That's a really good conversation. I hope we, hope people benefited from, of it, from it. We do it every year to try because if one person or a thousand people or hundreds of people take something out of that, I'd really appreciate that. You've got to be disciplined to gamble on sports, and you've got to know when to walk away, take your profits, and you've got to know when you're losing to step away. There's just too many people that are trying to attract you now, get your attention on Twitter, and they don't know nothing. They've never done this before. And that doesn't mean that new people can't get into this space. There shouldn't be new handicappers and new people who are starting in this business and have a way of making money. And that's great, but it's about a track record. So, as I always say, bet with your wallet, not with your head, because your head will get you in trouble. Your mind and the fact that you're not disciplined will get you in trouble. I've never bet. I've never placed a bet. So I'm not preaching to anybody. What I try to do is put guys like Leon, Mike North on, all of our handicappers during the year who I know you can trust, and then take your shot. And if you don't win with them, you can contact them directly. And decide what you want to do. If you want to continue, you want to recommend them or not. It is tough. Imagine spending an entire day in a sports book to be right 53% of the time. God, that would be a tough life. I couldn't do it. 702-365-9200. We were going to get into the Raiders' season win total. I would take the over this year, depending on where you're shopping, because I just think the Raiders are getting completely disrespected completely disrespected from the national media. So I think the national media is going to drive down the Raider win total. So I would take it. We'll go through the exact number of some of these casinos coming up here in the next couple of weeks. And normally, I'm not in the business of predicting Raider wins. I'm not very good at that. I don't want to be in the business of predicting how many games the Raiders are going to win. I want to talk about why they win or why they lose. But there's a lot of gamblers out there who love the Raiders and want to make some money. 702-365-9200 as we get you ready for tonight. We'll take a look at a couple of the moving lines. And then I'm out of here, and we'll be back right after the 4th of July. I think, Bobby, you said we're closed on July 5th. That is a holiday locally here. I'll be doing some national radio 
but uh, going for a little recreation south of the border and getting ready for 4th of July, and we'll be back next week. JT, as we continue, we'll wrap it up on Raider Nation Radio. checking pitchers. Hector Santiago has been thrown out of the ball game. Actually, it looks like they're almost putting their finger over the eyelets of the glove, and sometimes you can raise those up and use that to make a mark on the ball that actually enhances the movement. So as you can see, the authenticator is putting it away. It'll be hermetically sealed, and they will then take a further look at it third inning coming out of the game, I'm expecting them obviously to check me every inning. Um, I kind of joked around that I'm moving like if I was going to run away because uh, I know I wasn't using anything besides rosin, you know, what's what's given to us because going into this, once once it came up, I was just like, I'm going to use rosin. That's what, what that's what we got. I don't want this to be a big thing. I don't want this to happen to me. So, um, and he said he just felt some stuff sticky on the inside of the glove. Um, so all I used was rosin. I mean, I used it on both sides arm sweat trying to keep that sweat from dripping down to the hands um i mean that's the only thing i i, I use rosin that's about it hector santiago from the mariners first pitcher caught with the sticky substance you look at the 10 game fine and the money it is you know not significant because there's no money gone but the 10 games there i will tell you this they checked his glove earlier in the game and there was nothing there so then they check it and they feel something and he says it was just rosin and his sweat so to kick a guy out of a game for that, that means you can conclude that if they checked his glove early, earlier and they found nothing, that they would have to conclude that in between innings he either left the dugout and went and doctored his glove or sat in the dugout and used something illegal to doctor his glove. I mean, I don't get that. If you're getting checked in the first and second inning and you're getting checked later in the game, unless you disappear from the bench and you leave and you're gone or you give your glove to the ball boy or someone else and then they take your glove and give it back to you, and there are cameras on the dugout all the time, I don't know why someone would actively do that and be clean one inning and then be dirty late in the game. If you're going to be dirty, you come in and you try to hide it right in the beginning of the game and hope you don't get caught. But this has been an interesting topic here for a couple of weeks here as Major League Baseball is trying to clean up the game. I just know this from an eyeball perspective being on the radio every night with all these games on. It's, it looks to me like baseball's been more productive over the last couple of weeks. There seems to be more home runs and hits. It just looks that way to me. We'll see how it plays out. Coming up for these NBA games, Milwaukee and Atlanta tonight. Milwaukee opened up minus six. Now they're a seven-point favorite to six and a half. So Milwaukee's a heavy favorite on the road, as Lee Sterling said, because Trey Young's a game-time decision. So if Trey Young doesn't play, you could see why Milwaukee could win the game by six or seven points. If he does, that can change. So Lee Sterling said he's going to wait for the game and then in-game bet it. And then the next game is going to be really interesting because the Clippers are still alive, and that opened up a pick'em game. And there is some sharp money coming in on Phoenix minus one in Los Angeles. I, I got to think that Phoenix 
who was up three games to one, they're not going to lose three games in a row. But the Clippers have been in a pretty good spot. Pretty good spot. And then the breaking news, Serena Williams out at Wimbledon after retiring with an injury. Man, Serena really had an unbelievable run coming up here. Being in shape as a young mom wanted to add to her a tremendous record at Wimbledon. She retired from a first-round match earlier today against Sasnovinovich with a leg injury, holding a 3-1 lead in the first set. Serena slipped and needed to take an injury timeout at the game's conclusion to receive treatment. She returned to the court, but then her movement was visibly limited. She was serving in the fifth game at center court when she lost her footing. Near the baseline while hitting a forehand, she winced, stepped gingerly between points, clearly troubled, and retired. Wow, what a career. Uh, What a warrior effort by Serena. But as I'm looking at the video now, uh, this is an injury. She couldn't go on and further injure herself. So very unfortunate that we won't have Serena Williams going forward in Wimbledon, who is a monster draw. All right, I'll be back right after the 4th of July. I'd like to thank all of our partners who support the show. Modelo, everything that Modelo does, official cerveza of the show. PTs, through Golden Entertainment, 64-plus locations in the Valley. The Henderson Hyundai Superstore, Boulder Highway in Henderson. They have the super deals you're looking for. Our great friends at Ihole Tequila, the award-winning brand-new luxury tequila, Ihole. Our friends at the M Resort and Spa, well, you'll be seeing a lot of me this year. Remy Martin, team up for excellence. The only attorneys I use if I get into a jam and I'm in my vehicle, Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right. And our brand new partner, Five Iron Golf, inside Area 15. I promise you, if you head there, if you haven't been to Area 15, go check it out. I think it's going to blow you away. And then when you go in there, go to the second floor and check out Five Iron. Thanks to Bobby who produces the show. Thanks to all of our guests. Everybody have a great week. I will see you when I get back after the 4th of July. And we gear up closer and closer to Raiders training camp at the end of July. And this heats up for the preseason. And a countdown to Tom Flores and Charles Woodson as they go to Canton, Ohio and get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Have a good night, everybody. All right? Take care.